It's episode 164 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Moses, and this week's guest is Sarah Davis. Um, you uh, you do all the improv. Yeah. Uh, tell me about tell me about plus support. What's that? What is it? Ah, well, the terribly named plus support. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's been going quite a long time now since about I think twenty seventeen eighteen ish. So, um, me and Paul Little co run it together, and uh, we met at an improv drop in and just wanted to do some kind of improv together. So we set up and then we invite people in uh, kind of on a rolling basis, really. So we have a lovely group of people that we work with quite a lot. And we settled relatively early on a particular form, which is kind of a very <laughs> kind of abstract form of the Henry. Uh, and we like to take the shows out around and about, basically, because I'm based in Kent and Paul's in London. So we tend to do lots of festivals and we like to go to places where you don't always have improv necessarily. So we have a show called Town To Be Confirmed, which is roughly an hour longish, and we take that around and about and half short form and then half this Henry format that's set in the specific town that we happen to be in. So we get the, the gets from the audience around things that they might overhear in their own town. And then we create a whole world kind of based on that. So yeah, just a really fun format. And I think part of our aim really was just wanting to work with lovely people who were really fun to work with and wanted to experiment with ideas, which is such a luxury, I think, just kind of being able to curate that and yeah, just always have a wonderful time together. Uh, talk me through, talk me through the, the, the Henry format for, for people that might not know how that works. Yeah, so it's kind of a mini long form format, I'd call it. So that in, traditionally, you would have four people standing in a line and you play the same character throughout the whole piece, but everybody will improvise with two other people. Bear with me, I'm severely number dyslexic. Yes, <laughs> two other people. So if you imagine four people in a line, person one and two will be in a certain location and then two and three will be in another location, but that person two would be the same character the whole time. I think it needs a diagram. Basically, <laughs> it's a town, it's locations, there's loads of fun. Uh, but the way we do it, we often have a walk on person. So often there'll be five of us. So the walk on person will be comparing the whole thing and getting all the gets and things like that. And then they'll come and kind of color in all of the scenes. And then we also play a uh, line game kind of things within it. So we will, you know, that game life sentence where you get sentences from an audience. So we'll have sentences about the town that we're in and we'll pick them out and try and feed them into the Henry as well. We do lots of things with sound effects and yeah, lots of other kind of tweaks to it because we've been doing it a long time. So we like to play around with it a bit. I love the idea of, so you're, you're getting, are you getting the audience to write down lines? Yeah, about so town? it's things that they might overhear in their actual town. And quite often there's a lot of fun to be had. I think Dan mentioned this when you interviewed him with the fact that it might be somewhere really specific in Kent, for example, that only myself and Julie Flower maybe know about. So everyone else is kind of blagging it. <laughs> and the audience love that because they love you obviously seeing yourself getting in trouble a little bit with it all. Um, and, and you say that the you've got a walk-on person that colours in the scenes. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so they would just do a walk-on role, whatever's needed. So they might be an object or they might be a person in the doctor's surgery or, you know, that kind of thing. So they'll be there temporarily to just uh, 
yeah, just kind of support what's going on with the scene work, really. And are you getting the so you've got person A and person B they're in one location yeah um, are you getting those locations from the audience yeah so we'll have uh, locations that fit the place that we're in and they'll vary so we might say could we have a really small indoor location can we have a really big outdoor location uh, Paul often does the compare thing and he loves to give a jetty as an example so <laughs> I don't know if he thinks a lot of towns have jetties uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we try to go for things that kind of more imaginative settings because obviously like with any improv you tend to get the same things quite often so we tend to get butchers really often uh, <laughs> which is you know it's all welcome we can play with it but yeah we like to play with lots of different settings we've had some great ones we did a Canterbury Fringe Festival a few years ago and we had a changing room in Debenhams which kind of <laughs> so much went on there Wagamamas the queue for Wagamamas are very specific things <laughs> in Canterbury yeah, I love I love the specificity of the fact that it's not yeah. only a changing room, but it's a changing room in Debenham. So maybe people yeah. have um, you know preconceptions of the type of person that might shop there and the 100%. sort of thing that might happen and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned you're taking it to places that might not normally seem improv. Is that something that's important to you? I just really enjoy the idea of engaging new audiences in improv um, and I think that the improv scene outside of London is quite vastly different to within London and they're both really exciting for their own reasons. Yeah, I just think it's nice to reach those new audiences and we did uh, Faversham Fringe, we've done that for the last good few years now and actually there were two other improv shows in Faversham Fringe this year which was really nice to see. and. You know, a lot of the audience comments because they do evaluations after uh, were about uh, how improv was a new thing and it was great to see it. So, yeah, there's just something really joyful about that, I think. I think that's fantastic. Um, well, how, how is improv different in London compared to places that may be less familiar with it? Yeah, I just think the very different audiences, and this is just in my experience, so I do lots of things at the Miller, which I really love, and it tends to be lots of other improvisers in the audience, so it feels super supportive and really, really fun. And then when I'm doing stuff outside, it tends to be maybe um, different audiences, maybe people from kind of slightly different backgrounds, people not really knowing what to expect. So in some respects, you feel like you maybe have to win them over a little bit more. <laughs> um, but it really, really varies. Obviously, people are people, aren't they? And all audiences are different. Um, but there's just something really joyful for me about people realising that you're actually making it up on the spot and getting kind of really into those risks that you're taking. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. I think, yeah, we definitely need to be yeah, yes, as you say, it's great to do it at the Miller. It's great to do it where mm. we've got improvisers in the audience, but also yeah. how fun it is to actually perform to people who are not improvisers. Yeah, 100%. And also I feel like it's kind of sucking them into the cult then because then they might want to try it for themselves. And, you know, you're kind of opening, I think it's opening people's eyes to what's out there. Like I, in my day job, I teach drama and acting and I like to show my students all different genres of theatre because I think it's really important to see everything that's out there and kind of get as much of a taste of everything as you possibly can, really. I, I find it interesting to just have that wider perspective yeah. of thinking about improv within the perspective of, say, theatre uh -huh. yeah. um, and just trying to bring things from theatre into improv. So, 
you know, I've been trying to go and see more plays yeah. because I want to become a better improviser because when I'm improvising, I'm uh, trying to improvise plays. And if I want to improvise plays, I feel I should actually go and see what plays look like. 100%, yeah. And the kind of theatre I really enjoy, I mean, I do love it all, but I really enjoy contemporary, immersive, site-specific theatre. So I'm really drawn to improv that's quite experimental in its nature as well because I just love that idea of pushing boundaries and... I like improv that can be really quite theatrical. So things that have kind of a real visual aesthetic to them, I find really interesting as well. So, I mean, a lot of the concepts I come up with are ridiculously silly, but <laughs> they're just things I like to kind of challenge that relationship with an audience. And I like to experiment with things and twist things a bit. I think that that can be really fun. Yeah, tell me more about that thing with the audience. Yeah, so I think this comes back a lot to kind of when I'm teaching more formally because we talk a lot about breaking the fourth wall in immersive theatre and engaging an audience. So like if I'm directing a show in my job, I like to do things like have a preset as the audience are coming in where I create kind of a feeling. So there might be, you know, something they eat or some smells or they walk onto stage and something happens before they sit down or they follow the action round and things like that. Obviously, improv is a lot more immediate, so you might not have all those production values around it. But some of the things that we've done in Plus Support and we do it in Twimprov is going out into the audience and trying to you know play around with the actual space that we have available to us and things like that so using the kind of that theatrical technique a bit more I find really interesting as well yes I am aware when I when I go to the theatre or I see improv um, if there are those little production touches mm. I'm like oh I can relax because they know yeah. what they're doing 100%. there's something about yeah. if they've got that attention to detail if they've you know, made the yeah. place smell nice or something like that. I know that if they've got the ability to do that, mm -hmm. then the improv's also going to be fine because they'll have... Yeah, and I think, you know, when you're assessing acting, like some of the criteria is around communication to the audience. So have you thought about the audience, what you're trying to communicate and the reaction that you would like? So we talk about how actually the audience is more important than you because it's all about what you're trying to create for an audience. So I think as an audience, if you feel looked after in that way, I think that that's really important. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, it's, yeah, it's interesting. Sometimes when I've watched improv, I'm like, hmm, they all had a lovely time performing. But, yeah. I, but you know, that doesn't necessarily translate into the oh, audience also enjoying It's so it. easy to do because it's so much fun. And I think I've done it in theatre as well. I've directed a show that we all found hilarious, but we kind of forgot about the audience. You know, we're not getting the reaction that we expected because we were too immersed in that world and forgetting to kind of test if it was really communicating. So I think in improv, it's really essential that the cast are having fun. It's super, super important, isn't it? But also... Yes. It is about the audience at the same time. And that's why in rehearsal, I think it's really important to always place where you think the audience are going to be. Like never forget those kind of sight lines and never forget what you're actually trying to convey in the scene, I think. Yes, it's, it's, little, it's little bits of stagecraft, such as yeah. if you're standing with your back to the audience, yeah. that's fine if it's a deliberate choice. And it actually can be quite a powerful choice because mm -hmm. it's kind of unexpected. But it's something you deliberately do rather than you do by accident. 
Yeah, and I think what's really interesting for me about improv when I came to it, because I came you know, from a drama background, playwriting and directing and performing, really. And what was lovely, actually, was when I came to improv, it wasn't all actors in the room. It was people from all different walks of life, all bringing really specific experience, which I think makes it really rich and a lot more exciting in lots of ways. But obviously not everyone has formally trained in theatre in those kind of skills of, you know, projection and sight lines and backs to the audience and things like that. It's stuff that all has to be learned as we go along, I think. Um, so you say that the, um, the, the, the the format for Plus Support has evolved. Do you say, has it, has it changed much since you started doing it? Yeah, I think we play, we pretty much stuck to the same form and we sometimes talk about trying other things actually, but I think because it works as something that we can take out and tour and works in different locations. So when I say it's changed, I think I mean the Henry has changed like how we've experimented. So we've done things like experiment with time hops and uh, tangential scenes and not having everything being really linear and things like that. And the way we tend to work is a way that I think really suits us in that we'll book a show and then with that specific cast for that specific sh show, we'll then have a couple of rehearsals and do the show. So we're not constantly rehearsing because we've all got full-time jobs and I'm in 87,000 other shows. <laughs> So that we have to manage our own time and, you know, getting everyone together, getting to London, like doing all of that stuff actually takes a hell of a lot of admin. Uh, but, you know, we love it. But yeah, so I think we push it as much as we can, as much as time allows. I love that idea of organising it. So is it booking a show and then... Yeah using that show as a focus so you'll yeah. rehearse in the run-up to that show yeah i mean i think rehearsals just for the sake of it absolutely do have their place so 100 percent, you know for skills building getting a coach in all of those stuff is super super valid um but at the moment i think the model that we work with for plus support specifically just seems to work so if people are in a group and they're interested in performing in more places mm. how, how do how do they go about that yeah it's I think it's all about kind of building those networks and things and just looking out for opportunities so I think it can be as simple as just googling fringe festivals to be honest as a starting point and that's where you find quite a lot of it and improv festivals more widely um, we did uh, Improfest Sweden this year, well, July just gone, which was amazing. The first time that I'd been on a plane since before lockdown. <laughs> um, yeah, that was really, really fun. But generally we'll do ones kind of within the UK. Uh, I find a lot of opportunities actually on Facebook, uh, which I know maybe the youth don't use anymore, but I still find it very useful. <laughs> Uh, and just word of mouth sometimes, the more, you know, talking to other improvisers and things like that, and then just applying. Um, and then I guess it's just thinking about how you market your show so it might fit in with whatever that festival might be looking for. How do you market your show so it fits in with what the festival is looking for? Well, that is the question. <laughs> it sounds really simplistic, doesn't it? But I think really just reading the brief and looking at past programming and seeing actually what works for that particular place and that it may be different from place to place. And um, so we did a really lovely show uh, at Christmas time, which again, I think Dan might have mentioned for the Folkestone Living Advent Calendar. So uh, they have for the whole of December in Folkestone in Kent, uh, Jim Jam Arts, they're called Amazing Company, and they open up a different building and it's all free for the public to come and see. And there'll be a different show behind the door, but the public don't know what it is until the door opens. So they have like a Mother Christmas who opens the door. Um, and yeah, we were one of the shows for that, which was in a beautiful bookshop. And we it seemed to be hundreds of people piling in to see <laughs> the show, which was amazing. So 
obviously for that we had to tailor what what I put in for the brief when we were applying for it because I knew it would be I've done it before and I've worked on it before so I knew it would be you know lots of children and that it's a Christmas theme so we're talking about specific short form games essentially with children and it was just the most fantastic show the kids were super cute um we got one tiny tiny boy up to do a thing you know where you uh, pillars where you tap them on the shoulder to get their sentences and everything he said was is the answer lettuce (laughs) which is just the best thing ever (laughs) well did he say is the answer lettuce every time or did he start every suggestion with is the answer is the answer lettuce he was just it was always lettuce and it was always is it the answer like we were asking him a question (laughs) and it was a test he had to do he was adorable (laughs) (laughs) and it turned out that was it that was the answer that was the answer that was the answer but you know i don't specifically do improv for kids or theater for kids specifically but actually the audience was just so warm and so engaged and yeah it worked really nicely that sounds great. Um, yeah. And I also really like the idea of doing improv in a bookshop or, you know, in a library mm. or in a charity shop or just yeah. somewhere that I love doing it on the stage, but also it's really interesting being in, were you inspired by your surroundings? Yeah, I mean, that's what I love, site-specific theatre. I had a company for a while that we did site-specific theatre and there's a play that I wrote that was about a disused house and we had um, access to a whole attic space and we staged it as a big promenade piece in this crumbling attic. Um, So stuff that connects to the space I really enjoy. With that specific improv show, it wasn't particularly connected to the bookshop because it was, you know, a Christmas improv show essentially. But I think it's a bit easy to do it with theatre because you can write a play specifically for a space. And I think you could do it with improv. If you planned a whole tour of places, you could, Julie always says in Twin Prof, she always laughs because whenever we do a location in rehearsal, I always say, oh, an abandoned warehouse because I seem to just love abandoned places. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think you could definitely do that. You know, it'd take a lot of kind of hunting around and a nightmare for risk assessing and insurance, I'm sure. But responding to places is a really interesting thing, I think. <laughs> Yes, yes. Uh, well, what is it that about the abandoned nature of places that you like? <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I think I just I find it really fascinating to think about what might have happened in there. And just, you know, something grand that's now a bit kind of crumbly. There's just something really exciting. And I was obsessed with um, the Punch Drunk show, The Drowned Man. I think I went about nine times and that had that feel to it. Just that idea of exploring a space and it wasn't an abandoned space, but it had that kind of darker feel to it. And actually, I went to it. That was before I'd even really discovered improv. And it kind of gave me that same feeling because you I don't know if you ever went to it. Um, you go up in a lift and you've got a mask on and you just get pushed out into the dark and you have to go off and explore. And <laughs> I just realised about myself, I've got this real childlike thing inside me where I just loved it and I just go and run off in the dark and kind of want to touch everything and explore everything and I get that same feeling with improv that feeling of like just wanting to explore and kind of not caring that it's a bit of a risk because it's so much fun if that makes sense mm. yeah. um, I've not I've not been to uh, any of the uh, punch trunk um, yeah uh, performances happenings um, yeah. the nearest I got to it um, there's a Doctor Who interactive experience called Time oh, Fracture yeah. Yeah, that looks and amazing. It was it was really good fun. You know, it helps if you're Doctor Who fan. Um, yeah. And actually, there was one moment where I was fully prepared to throw a child into the path of an oncoming Dalek. <laughs> to my credit, <laughs> I didn't. But anyway, um, 
as an improviser, I'm never quite sure in those circumstances yeah. how much to contribute. Yes, a hundred percent agree with you. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like you know these actors, they yeah. they know what they're doing. They don't need me. No. <laughs> and so I'm always like. I don't know. Is, is that the same when you've been to other immersive? Yeah, th- I think I hold back because you don't want to be that person who springs out and is like, give me a word, any word, <laughs> in the middle of a really poignant scene. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I feel like I probably hold back and I just think I'll, let, you know, let the muggles join in. <laughs> let them have a nice time. <laughs> oh, in my case, let the children have a nice time. Stuart. Yeah. You may know where Archon Energy is, but so do they. Let I them was like have that a when I went to the Jurassic Park interactive exhibition with my niece over Christmas. I was like, there's so many kids here and I want to look at the dinosaurs, but I think I have to let them. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I thought I had an amazing time. But afterwards, I'm like, oh, did I? Could I have done more? Should I have done more? Oh, there's always that, I think. Yeah. I think that's why I kept going back to Drown Man, because there was always something new to discover or like a different pathway to go down. You're also involved in Improbotics. Tell me what Improbotics yeah. are up to these days. Oh, so much. So, it's yeah, I've been involved in that for years and years now. So we, um, yeah, we've just been doing shows all over the place, really. And they have branches all over in loads of different countries, which is really, really exciting. So we did some big festivals. We did Birmingham Improv Festival recently and got interviewed on the BBC, which is very exciting. Um, yeah, so it feels like it's really kind of taking off. We've just auditioned a whole load of new members who are brilliant. And we're kind of rehearsing with them now, um, looking towards a lot more shows coming up. The format has developed and changed a lot, I would say, which I find really, really exciting because I feel like Piotr just has so many ideas and um, Boyd works really closely with him now as well to develop them. So between them, they have so many new creative ideas and they're always pushing the boundaries. So the basic still remains the same, like can a robot or a cyborg improvise? Spoiler, no, they can't. (laughs) 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 But what I really like is just the capacity for it to go quite wrong quite easily. So as a human, you're doing all of the work because you're trying to make that robot look good on stage. So it's kind of the fundamentals of improv have to be in place for it to work as a concept. Yeah, which is really, really challenging. And I think it's just a really good muscle to exercise. So what what's the form of the, um, did you say Android? Um, yeah, you- so... Kind of, so we intro- it would depend on the which show we're doing. So we have a multilingual show, which is a slightly different beast. Uh, but generally it takes different forms. So initially it will be that actual physical small white robot that could do a scene with you. Uh, and then it evolves to a human with an earpiece in. So, uh, so the human with the earpiece is in a scene with another human. <laughs> do you like the way I keep saying human as if I'm actually a cyborg? It's sounding suspicious. I mean... Uh, <laughs> I mean, you're making me wonder now. (laughs) You should, you should wonder. But basically, another improviser is controlling what's the lines that are coming through. So they will type in the line from the improviser who doesn't have the earpiece, and then they will be able to choose which line the improviser with the earpiece actually says as the cyborg. So it's a chat GPT program, essentially. Um, I think I'm explaining that terribly because I'm not Piotta. But basically, what I will say is it's really clever. (laughs) And the cyborg, of course, can't give you who, what, where. They often won't give you names. They'll often say something really, really bizarre. So then it's making them not the problem, but making them the hero is the fundamental idea with it, which I think is such a good thing to just drill down into with any improv anyway. 
Yes, I will say that uh, if you, uh, if anyone wants an insight into what was happening with Improbotics six years ago, <laughs> six years, wow! Check out episode forty-five of the Improv London <laughs> podcast where Piotra uh, talks about what was happening then. Yeah, if you could listen to his explanation and edit it, <laughs> edit it in as if I've got a man's voice for a minute, that would be great. <laughs> I think it's really exciting to. Um, well, first of all, <laughs> as somebody that really likes using tech in an improv show, yeah, uh, Piotr um, has always done more tech with more possibilities to go wrong. So oh, I always feel goodness. really bad about complaining about any problems <laughs> I have with the meager things that <laughs> I do. So he's set the bar so high that I, yeah. you know, I can't complain. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just really interesting. I'm interested in anything that takes improv in a different direction. Yeah. Maybe takes you to places that you wouldn't normally go. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I mean, over lockdown, we did a whole bunch of online shows as well, virtual direction. So Boyd has this entire virtual, virtual director program that he's made, which is amazing where he can put all the improvisers in the same location. So we worked a lot on that. So feeling like we're connected, even though we couldn't physically be and really pushing those boundaries as well. And then some of that's come into our live shows. So we've been to people in from other countries to take part in it and things like that. So yeah, it's really, really experimental and exciting stuff. And obviously they're all researchers, so they're all academics and they're always, they have access to all this stuff and they're always kind of testing things, which is quite exciting. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that sounds, uh, that sounds yeah. really exciting. And also, you know, inevitably when you're beaming people in from other places, the technology goes wrong, people, you know, the audio or the visual yeah. freeze and then you just fold it into the show don't you yeah and it's that thing genuinely now i quite love it when those things happen because i know that the cast we, we've all got each other's backs and it will be fine so those can be real moments of joy when it goes a bit wrong because you never really feel that scared because you know that that's going to be fun anyway and people love seeing shows where things go wrong that's you know yeah. that's the bit that's that's because everybody's suddenly in the moment and yeah. You know, if it's a rehearsed show, you know, we love all those lines you've learned, but if something actually goes wrong, it's like, oh, yeah, now that's we're in the so moment. true. <laughs> now, now things are really happening. How how are things how are things with Julie Flower? How are how are Twimprov? Tell me oh, about Twimprov. She's Profs. a nightmare, I tell you. <laughs> 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 Sorry, Julie, it's not true. Love you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's great actually. She um she is away at the moment, but we're doing more stuff soon. So we've got a show coming up at Scoops in Brighton in May, which is very exciting. Um, <laughs> we've had an idea brewing for a little while that we may try it that one. I'm not sure. I tried it at Hoopla recently in the new house team. Bless them. They supported me enough to do it, which <laughs> was an idea we had called um, Chekhov's Pie, I wanted to call it, but I could only get a trifle. So it had to be Chekhov's Trifle. Uh, and it was that idea. There's a Chekhov the playwright quote that if you have a gun on stage you have to use it so you know if it's placed there it has to be used so the idea is that you have a pie or a trifle on stage and you're doing a whole improv show or scene relatively seriously not referencing it but playing around with how close you get to it <laughs> and the idea being that at some point it has to go in your face and then you have to carry on <laughs> so yeah we tried it at hoopla of course it was me who got it in my face <laughs> And it was ridiculous. And actually what I hadn't envisaged was the fact that it was really greasy. So I literally went all over my glasses. It went in my ears, up my nose. Oh. But yeah, so we may try that at Scoops. I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sorry. I was going to say we've been doing quite a lot of online things with Queen City Comedy um, in America, some uh, online duo shows with them and lots of rehearsal and just developing ideas. 
And when you when you do the online show, what 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 sort of format are you you doing? Yeah, so we've been trying to play around with it. We've done a couple, and we did. Um, because we actually live close to each other. And, you know, our whole thing with Twin Prof is the fact that we look quite the same, but we're like a f- foot different in height. Uh, <laughs> so our USP, we just wear ridiculous clothes, you know, matching clothes. So we did one where it's always a mono scene. So we always do scene painting, uh, preferably in a disused building. <laughs> and then <laughs> we'll do a mono scene and multi-role within the mono scene. But we were also were playing with stuff virtually. So we did one that was in my flat, but we made it look like we were in two different locations and I was in the bedroom and Julie was in my study or some study, it's not a study, spare room with a desk. <laughs> and then I crawled through and just appeared on her screen, which blew everyone's minds. <laughs> um, we do stuff where we, um, sure, like we'll pour stuff on each other or we'll, I don't know, like silly visual stuff to kind of play around. So it's it's essentially a mono scene, but we're trying to play with what we've got available to us in the different ways. Do you pour stuff on each other? Yeah, Explain. that wasn't very well explained. We, um, <laughs> uh, we've got a thing we do where, um, yeah, we just play with props basically. So we'll, uh, if we're in two different locations, we kind of pour a glass of wine and then it appears in the other person's hand or, you know, you're doing the lipstick to someone on screen and they turn around and it's all over their face face and things like that so we were just playing with the silliness of it all really right that makes a lot more sense I love it more sense doesn't it (laughs) I love it when yeah you you pass someone a drink and then they they, yeah all of that stuff yeah yeah I I, I had visions of you pouring stuff onto each other's heads and I was like I don't know how that's gonna work I mean to be honest Stuart unless someone stops me that's probably going to be the next thing that will happen the trouble (laughs) is with improv people keep yes anding me and that's not always a good thing Uh, you're, you're, you're playing Scoops in, in Brighton. Is that somewhere you've played before? Yeah, so actually we're there in February with Plus Support and then March with uh, Twinprov. <laughs> um, yeah, really, really like it there. Like, super, super friendly crowd and really nicely supported by lots of improvisers. And yeah, just we've gone back to it quite a few times just because it's such a lovely night. Tell me about your new Hoopla house team. Yeah, so much fun. So um it's been going since the summer, I'm going to say. And there's a lot of us in that uh, house team. So we try out lots and lots of different formats and it's coached by Steve Rowe. Uh, so we tend that we'll have a rehearsal, then we'll have a show the same day, basically, to try out what we've been kind of drilling down in in the rehearsals. And yeah, they're just a really lovely group of diverse people from lots of different backgrounds, all playing together and kind of getting to know each other, basically. And what what have you experimented with and then performed recently? Um, Well, apart from the trifle idea. (laughs) um, Yeah, we played with lots of different forms. So it will be a mix uh, generally of sometimes short form games or uh, twists on short form games and some longer forms like uh, La Ronde we did recently. That was our most recent one. Uh, The Henry actually another group did. Uh, Yeah, just playing with different ideas at the moment. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, yeah. Teach me, teach me a new game, or a variation on a game, or just a game that you love. Oh yeah, okay. So um, these are things that my students have, yeah, my students have helped me to develop actually. Because when I'm teaching them improv, we try and make up games as well as kind of going with the ones that already exist. Uh, so we often do the set. We do lots of circle games. We do the circle game where you just pass the clap around the circle, and you know it has all the different moves and dynamics to it. So we have a game that I've called unimaginatively the made-up game because you make it up. <laughs> 
So the idea that it has the same moves as passing the clap, but anyone can instigate any move at any time and you pretend that you've always known the move and you've always been doing it. Um, and then sometimes you can get up to 10 different moves happening in any one game. And the idea, <laughs> the idea is that uh, you can't hint at any point that you've never played it. So it's really fun for people being bold and making offers. But I like the idea, particularly when I'm teaching students, of everybody doing something all at once so nobody feels self-conscious and that it is supported. And that idea of just getting into a bit of a flow state and not worrying if it goes wrong and solving it. I think that game, as silly as it is, is really genius for doing that, actually. So that's one I play quite a lot. Um, <laughs> and then the students invented this. I gave them an assignment to make up new improv games. Uh, and it's called something like Billy Bob Jones. I may have got that wrong. I'll check with them. Uh, <laughs> and it's a bit like that playground game. I think it's called Bull Bulldog, where you have two lines of people and you have someone in the middle and they say lots of words, but one word will be the keyword. So when they see the keyword, the two lines have to run across the room and the person in the middle is trying to catch as many people as they can. So that's the playground game. So their version of it is that they will, everyone has to give a character attribute to the person in the middle. So they're creating a character and their first one they ever did was called Billy Bob, whatever it is. So they said, you know, they, they have a limp and they do this and they do that. And they, so the person in the middle has to, as they're chasing all the other people has to do it in that character. And then every time they catch a new person, that new person also becomes the character. So each person they catch then goes in the middle <laughs> and the other people run and then it gets more and more and more people until everybody's caught and then you can do a new character. So it's quite in, an interesting way of sustaining a character. <laughs> That sounds amazing. I've not heard that yeah. before. Yeah, they just made it up entirely. But I think that thing of basing it on a childhood playground game, I mean, it's quite, I've got a dodgy back, so I couldn't play it because you have to be able to run. <laughs> so, you know, you'd have to, you would have to adapt it, I think, for some situations. But I think that idea of everybody taking on a particular character and playing it with it is great for improv and great for actors as well. Um, and just going back to the, the previous Circle game, I love the idea of, you know, pretending that you know what the rules of a game are without the game yeah. being explained. Um, I've done other things, similar things, where you'll be given the name of a game and then you'll yeah. be told to play it. And yes. then you yeah, that's just really play it. And um, it's really interesting because some people really like that exercise and some people really hate that exercise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm actually not quite sure where I stand on it because part of me likes to know what the rules are. Mm -hmm. But I, I suppose it, it, it is it's the discipline of learning what the rules are by observing things. So, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm that sort of person as well. When I started improv, you know, I come from this kind of grammar school background where I was like, I'd like to sit and watch and see someone do it right and then I'll be able to do it. <laughs> And actually, that wasn't helpful to me. What I needed to do was get up and try the thing, having very little idea actually of what I'm doing. And I learned that about myself quite quickly. So, yeah, I think those games are great for that idea that actually you don't need to worry so much about the rules and getting it right. And that it, I talk a lot about celebrating failure in my teaching. And uh, I think that's really important as well. Yeah. And, you know, some people say you can't get anything wrong. And I'm like, oh, I disagree with that. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. you can get things wrong. But that doesn't matter. I always talk about the low yeah. stakes of what we're doing. We're in some yeah. converted office, <laughs> grey <laughs> carpet, yeah. you know, yeah. it's raining outside. Yeah. We're clapping <laughs> so, yeah. at each other in a circle. Yeah. You know, the stakes are super low. 
Yeah. You know, obviously we're going to try and do it, but if we don't, we'll celebrate it. So, you know, yes, you can make mistakes, but we'll celebrate those mistakes. Yeah, and that joy of getting something wrong then will translate onto stage because that idea that if you're in a scene and it's going away that you hadn't foreseen, you're not flagging up to the audience that you're terrified, you're actually reveling in it. So that same feeling will then, I think it will serve you really well when you're on stage. Definitely, definitely. You've also, you're also part of the Hoopla House Team Shuffle. Yes, so I just joined that last week, in fact. Oh, <laughs> so off the press. Yeah, so that's split into two teams, and the one I'm in is called Mixtapes, and they do a lovely format that's um, scenes inspired by music, basically. So it starts with kind of movement to get you into the scene, and then the scene slowly develops, and then you play it out with that same music again with a bit of movement to end it. Um, so it's, yeah, just a really clear concept. Um, I haven't even met everybody who's in the team yet, but we had a lovely coaching session and a really great show last week. So I'm quite excited about that. I love uh, I love anything movement-based and music-based. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really interesting way of getting into character and into emotion. Have you had any guidance about how to move into the music? No, so it's more, the way I read it is kind of, it's, you know, the same as getting a word from an audience. So it's there to inspire you. So it's not about kind of dancing to music or playing an instrument or anything like that. It's just to inspire you. So, um, and like I said, I have a bad bat, so I'm not a super physical person at the moment. I can't be. So it's more about just the feel for me. It's more the feeling it gives you, but it also helps you with that kind of world building and not forgetting about object work and things like that. Cause it's so easy to go into a scene and just start talking. You know, I'm very wordy as an improviser and words come really quickly to me, but actually sometimes it's good to just take a moment, isn't it? And really settle yourself into a scene. So yeah, I think it's there to inspire you really. And so when you're being inspired and talk me through how the music inspires you. Yeah, so we did a couple. I'm trying to remember because you know what it's like sometimes when you improvise, it all goes in a blur for me and I can't remember my own name after. But uh, we did one that was, it just felt really playful. Um, and another improviser came on and just started twirling around. So then a few of us came on and just kind of mimicked that. And then it became a scene that was kids in a playground and the playground was locked and we had the playground to ourselves. And it that just came from that kind of childish twirling round and round in a circle idea. So I think it can be as simple as that. Or it could just be a feeling there was one that had a really clear kind of sense of which characters might kind of be in the world that that music existed in. So I think it will really vary. Yeah, I suppose the, the only thing to watch out for if you're using music as an inspiration is that you don't want to end up with people dancing and then it always yeah. being in a club or a disco or something Yeah, 100% because like you, you don't, it's any improv, isn't it? You don't just want it to be about the thing. Mm. So I think it's is thinking about maybe you know that kind of exercise where you don't just think about your first response you think about your second response or your third response like how can you where can you take it and who gets to choose what music gets played uh well the audience did for the show so uh, we went around and just asked the audience for some suggestions uh and then jake who does all the tech there is amazing and he just managed to do it all in some kind of tech wizard way and just pick some of the songs out as it went along so because the edits are the music you never know when the scene will be edited so you're not editing yourselves which is really interesting actually so some of them will play for much longer or shorter than you'd think which also kind of keeps you on your toes and there's yeah there's just i find music just an excellent way of you know cutting to straight into the emotion of a scene yeah and you've, you've sort of briefly mentioned it already, but you are not only performing face-to-face -face or mm -hmm. offline, <laughs> as Dan was calling it. I like um, it. 
Uh, you're also involved in the Global Improv Project house team. Tell me what that is. Yeah, so over lockdown, I think I mentioned this to you in a message, I did go a bit crazy and I've started, I was making notes on how many shows I did and I've just kept it up ever since. So I'm on, I, I haven't got it, but, but it was something like 640 now, it's ridiculous. So I, I really embraced online improv. I think because I was having to teach online, I thought I need to learn how all these systems work really quickly and how to be creative. So I did a ton of things, obviously, as things got back to semblance of normality can we call it that um <laughs> you know i couldn't do as much but i yeah the global improv i did pretty much from the start so that's been going nearly three years now um house teams that we auditioned for back in the day and the one i'm in is called close distance um because it's people from all over the world uh so we have lots of conversations about time zones <laughs> um but yeah we've just really gelled as a group and it it's so nice to hear the experiences of people from all different countries and their kind of improv training and what they can bring to scenes uh, and the coaching is amazing and yeah we do a really fun format that's kind of a behind the scenes of people making a tv show in different genres so you see the backstage and then you see the show and it kind of cuts between the two so you're playing two characters uh, which is a really nice format that sounds lovely um, I really like the idea of yeah the sort of behind the scenes and then the actual cutting to what happens on the uh, yeah because I think it gives you a real chance to play two very different characters as well um you know and because it's online it has to be quite visual so maybe you've got a wig or something for the online you know for the on screen versus the backstage or something like that but it can help you to be really playful I think are you one of these improvisers with a huge dressing up box within arm's reach of your computer yes I do have quite a lot of things <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm like I was like, I think that's that's one thing that online improv surprised me. Yeah, uh, and I'm like, oh, I I struggled to find six items just to use. Like, <laughs> you know, when you, you, I just find six. I find it hard to find. I don't think I live a particularly yeah. frugal monastic life, but I don't also have a box. You don't even own six things. <laughs> yeah, I don't, well, you know, I mean, six different things. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't, you know, that, I don't have a box full of, you know, uh, wigs and hats and stuff like that. And I'm like, so you're saying you? that, and I'm literally sitting next to a box full of wigs, like, oh yeah, yeah no, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, am I even, a, am I even really an improviser? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they, they'll take your membership card away when they know that you haven't got wigs. <laughs> it's good to know. It's good to know that you'll be all right. Yeah, yeah. And you also um, co-run the British American Experience. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, yeah, that? I love that show. Um, we've been doing that for quite a while now with High Wire Improv, which again are based in America. So um, I invented it with somebody who used to be in uh, close distance at the start, an American friend, just because we were having conversations about all the differences in our language. And the more that we got, all got to know each other, the more we realised there were loads. Uh, so it has a really fun format where we have a British cast and an American cast and we do what I call translation scenes. So you'll have a typically British setting and you'll have a scene very British based in there. And then the Amer two Americans will come on and try and translate it into an American scene, but still hitting all the things you've been talking about and vice versa. And the best part of it, in my opinion, is we do PowerPoint presentations. <laughs> So we have a topic like British education, American education, we'll do a really silly PowerPoint about it. And then the corresponding cast will do some kind of montages based on the presentation. And then we do a living room where we talk about a, a burning a burning issue. So we had one that 
nearly led us to have a meltdown, which was why don't American people own kettles, which none of us realised that they didn't. <laughs> How do they drink tea? I know. they. Oh, don't even get me started. Some people <laughs> boil it in a coffee maker. Some what? people do it on a stove. Some people, get this, don't even drink tea. I know. I know. If you need I mean, to leave to go and be sick now, I would. This I is probably know, I, just, I, just, I just need yeah. a moment. Just need a moment to myself you know, to consider <laughs> what I'm, the fact that the world is not as I imagined it to be. And, exactly. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, we seem to have got a lot out of the format, and we, um, yeah, just really nice groups of people, really experienced improvisers, and just a real chance to be quite playful. What? Um, so you mentioned you mentioned the PowerPoint <laughs> yeah. presentation. Why is that a why is that a wonderful thing? It's just really silly, and you know we've been doing the show a long time now, so I probably I don't even know how many of them I've done. But uh, Brian, who now runs it with me, we message each other the day before, like, oh, what are we going to do it about this time? <laughs> we've had so many, so you know you have to yeah you have to really kind of think about the things that would appeal to an American audience. So you know quirky things about. Britain and often you'll do it from your own perspective because I grew up in a village that just had a pub and didn't even have a bus you know (laughs) so I'll talk about things like that which is very alien to Americans who live in big cities and yeah every time we find new things to talk about. It's strange how sometimes being really specific weirdly makes it more universal. Yeah. I don't know how that works. Yeah I think because there's specific human experiences that you have that people can just relate to. Um, we did one about our teenage years and I was reading out lines from my diary when I was 13, <laughs> which were just ridiculous. <laughs> I found it when I was clearing out and I just thought I have to use this for the show because it was so British and so specific. Uh, yes, I um, also have teenage diaries and oh. um, yes, there's so much fun that can be had Yeah, because they're so, the, la- the lack of self-awareness. <laughs> is- <laughs> Great. It's, it's really inspiring. So, how were you? How were how were you using your, your the lines from your teenage diary? Um, I just did. A, we did a whole presentation about our British years, so that came into it. So, I did a load of photos of British teenage years, and I said what we got up to as teenagers. And then, because I lived in this village, I was reading out just some specific excerpts that were about all the ridiculous things that we used to get up to in the village. Yeah, it was like there's a ridiculous thing about. Oh, so and so was spreading rumours around the village. So we went and knocked on their door and put mops in their face. You know, so I don't even know. <laughs> I have no memory of that. Then, and then this got translated into what would happen if this story was taking place in the USA. Um, not even that necessarily. It's more for that bit. It's more just they would take key things to inspire improv. Uh, so they'll reference it. Or we did one that was about um, language and place names. So I just said as many, um, I did a list, so I didn't say them, but I did a list of really difficult to pronounce words and names in England. And then I challenged the cast to put as many of them as possible as they could into a long form set. <laughs> so that was brilliant because they were doing like Worcestershire. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard about the, as a game, I think it's called Be More British or Be More English. Oh, no, I haven't. Um, where you play, I think you either play a scene or you say something. Someone yeah. goes, Be More English. And then you have to do it in more of an English way. Oh, just... that's really good. I love that. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> I don't remember where, where that came from, but there was definitely something about it. It's either called Be More British or Be More English. And it's yeah. just like, you know, you sort of 
fairly normally. And then by the end of you go, oh, yes, uh, yes, uh, a cup of tea and uh, mother will be, uh, will be putting out the, uh, yeah, the coal on the fire. There's honestly, there's just so much you can do with it. And I think because it's things that are real about things that you understand, you can kind of, you can really, you know, it's that thin veil thing, isn't it, where you can really play with it. Cool. Okay. So if someone were to step on stage with you, mm-hmm. either virtually or on a stage that doesn't normally seem improv or in an abandoned building <laughs> yes. where you've organised to do a site-specific show, mm-hmm. what could they do to delight you? Oh, that's really interesting. I think one of the things I love most in the world in improv, if I'm honest, is being an object. So <laughs> I think if they endowed me as an object or even an animal, they would know that that's something that I would actively really love. What is it about being an object or an animal that you love? <laughs> I th- I think another thing I love about improv is just how you can be anything and how it's not. Yeah. And I think that that takes that to the nth degree, just that idea of I quite like quite abstract things. And yeah, it's for me, there's a lot of fun there actually with being you know a blender but it has a point of view like (laughs) there's just so much that you can play with that's really silly there and what's your what's your signature move what's the the thing that you do that saves the day that brings down the house that has everyone going (laughs) classic davis ah well i did cheat a little bit because i heard dan being asked this and i thought i need to do some research (laughs) so i thought i'm going to ask my two closest improv people so they can help me. So I asked Paul and he said something unrepeatable. So then I asked Julie and she said, <laughs> she actually gave me an entire list, uh, which was amazing. And actually her top one was being an object. That, <laughs> that's what she immediately said. Um, but she also said, which I think is probably true, or the thing I like doing, she said making a mundane or everyday situation more abstract. So I think I actively quite enjoy doing that as well, like that idea of putting a bit of a twist on a situation or maybe doing something a little bit unexpected, not kind of forcing that on a scene, but yeah, just that idea of playing around. I think it's because I really like things like magical realism and fantastical situations and things like that. So yeah, I just like the idea of, I don't know, two leprechauns doing their tax returns or, you know, like just playing with those kind of ideas. So it's a mixture of kind of the mundane and the magical. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. In certain situations, just maybe that thinking, I think I think in maybe a slightly more surreal way sometimes, which can be quite fun to play with. There's there's something really lovely about taking the ordinary and the extraordinary and then combining those two. So as in that example where you've got the two leprechauns, but they're talking about their tax returns. Yeah. I've only got one last thing to say, and that's thank you for being a guest on the Improv London broadcast. Thank you so much. It's been so much fun. Yay! Yay! (laughs) I made this. That's improv! (laughs) 